You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. The Houndsman XP Podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsmen of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsmen. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this Made in America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say Made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. The Houndsman XP Podcast Network is powered by Cajun Lights. All of your lighting needs for hunting can be taken care of at Cajun Lights. They have three models of cap lights. I'm going to run through them real quick. You've got the Rogaroo, which is their high-end light. If you're a competition hunter and you got to find that coon up in a tree and it's all riding on finding that coon, you'll want the Rogaroo on your head. Next is the Bayou. That's a pretty standard light, but it's got packed with features. It's got multiple colors. It's got walking lights. It's got the red, the green, the amber. It's all built in right into that light. And then you have one of my personal favorites, the Micro Gator. The Micro Gator is an ultra lightweight cap light. It's got all the features of a white light, red, green, and amber. I've used this light for everything from finding bear tracks early in the morning to coon hunting at night to working on plumbing in the house changing tires on the side of the road my truck doesn't leave the driveway without a cajun light in it and that light is the micro gator every cajun light is durable made from the highest quality components and it is backed by cajun's top rated customer service check out cajun lights you can go to our website at houndsmanxp.com go to our sponsors page hit that link it'll take you right to cajun lights check them out they got a lot of stuff to offer over at Cajun Lights. You know, we all have that one special dog hanging out on the porch. He's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. All these things you like coming together to make one superb dog. That was exactly what we had in mind when we made this show. Welcome to All Mixed Up. What's up, Chad? Oh, man, just trying to get all these chores done. It's right around the corner, man. Season's right there. My eyelids are just like, they feel like there's a hundred pounds of weights sitting on top of them right now. (laughs) My life has been just pedal to the metal all month. And it's uh, been, it's been good. But it's been a lot. So when you know, do you start? When do you get serious about running dogs, man? Okay, first of all, why do you got to make me cry right when the episode starts? 
You want, you want, <laughs> you want now tears coming out of my heavy eyelids, dude? Yeah, yeah, sure. That's a, you know, the thing is, man, this, this summer, every, as we all know, um, we had a super strong El Nino this year, which is the climactic event that causes the Pacific ocean to warm and brings record heat to the continental U S. And so, um, as we all know, the summer has just been, dude, horrible, horrible. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's freaking 96 here at my house right now. It's late August. It should be a lot cooler than that already by now. Um, so when do I start in earnest? Well, now that I have a a set of pure Salukis, um, they can easily run up to about 73, 72 ish in that range. So normally I could be starting now if it wasn't record heat, (laughs) I could be already by now. Um, but usually I start early September. I'll start going out to some of my closer prairies that are nearby my house. They kind of suck, but they're, they're small. Um, but they're good enough to like leg up dogs, but Mm -hmm. Since this summer has been so brutal and the rain has been so poor, the hairs, it's actually, so everyone, there's that, that storm that's coming up from, uh, Texas right now. And we're right in the path of that moisture. I actually checked it for you too, man. Um, I don't think you're going to get any of that. I but... never get it, man. I could have <laughs> told you that before. I didn't like, I looked at it and I, I stopped. I was, I, I was searching the weather channel. Where's it going? I was like, what am I doing? I'm wasting time. Yep. We aren't going to get any. I of this laughed. Stuff. I was like, you're not getting any of that anyway. So, um, uh, that's gonna be our first dude. I've gotten 1.91 inches at my house all year. That's all yeah. I've gotten at my house. Right. So yeah. I think we're going to get over an inch from this storm. And I looked a lot of my favorite pastures are going to get like an inch of rain. So basically long story short, the hairs are really going to start breeding an overdrive now, which means that like, when, little, do they, hmm? when do they quit? Like, you know, they'll, they'll still, they'll still have some babies before the winter comes. Oh, yeah. So, so if it's warm and it's wet, if there's food available and it's warm, they will mate. So, I mean, we've caught pregnant does in January before. So, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So this year, they didn't really be... fit in then, huh? Yeah, Good job. yeah. 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 And so, um, uh, we will be, they will be breeding very late this year because it's been warm and it's been brutal. We had a great dry, we had a great drop of young leverets in, which is a baby hair, uh, leverets in, uh, March, but this drought and heat is beat them up. And so they're going to start breeding after this rain event, long story short, and they're going to um, be lots of little baby ones. So I'm going to, curtail my hunting man nothing i i honestly i hate catching young ones it really pisses me off like it's Mm -hmm. not their fault it sucks i hate it it the race is disgusting it's so pitiful you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. and um uh, and that could have been an adult one (laughs) in another two months so anyway i'm probably going to start hunting in october long story short i'm going to probably hunt some of my northern prairies that are the the hares will be breeding later or earlier they'll stop breeding earlier because it's colder and and drive a long way to get to those because <laughs> i'm there you a, go. an addict so that was a very long answer but when when are you starting in earnest <laughs> september is generally when i get going you know like for this or that you know the a little bit of everything i i still t- kind of take it easy on my jackrabbits because uh well i can't help but take it easy on them They're so the, the brush hasn't begun to die off yet so they'll catch a glimpse and it's gone and they just get Enough time to get excited and, and nothing else. But in that time, I kind of bird dog around, you know, and find out where the, you know, the thicker populations are and then predict where they're going to go when the brush starts to die yep. off. And yep. Get that season set up. But that's that's the beginning of hunting, you know, grouse and uh, chucker. And so they start firing up the bird dogs. And then I won't really be messing with the bear 
until deeper into fall. It's lion season, you know. You can chase lions now, but I I I think I'm better served uh getting my choring done so that I can really just cut loose. So yeah, September, you know, it's kinda when things get going, you know, for this and that. I just got done bear hunting, actually, up here in New Mexico. We just had an opening day uh, bear in August 16th in some of our bear units. So it was. I only got to go up for one day, but I met some badass people at the Horse, Hound, and Mule auction in July. And uh huge shout-out to David Riley, the Riley brothers. You guys rock. Uh, I went out there and hunted with them. Well, we only had one day. So I, I, we had a rough morning, just mechanical problems on our vehicle. And then also there was just a lot of driving. We got some strikes, but they were old. And anyway, it was... Yeah, I had a great time. Those guys were super rad, and I met a lot of really badass people at Horse, Hound, and Mules. We're going to get there later in the episode, but yeah, so shout out to the Riley Brothers. You guys rock, Sean and David. You guys are cool and uh, straight. You rock, bro. But anyway, yeah, so I got some, uh, I got some, a lot of cool interviews from a lot of those fellas, and yeah, yeah, it was a good time. So anyway, bear hunting was, I'm not really a big fan of summer bear hunting. It's just, it's hard, man. I was talking hard. to one of my real good friends. Uh, who's like an avid chucker hunter and he climbs the 45 degree chucker hills and you know some of the red rock stuff and hunts here and there and travels all over the place and uh he's more of an upland hunter i'm more of a fur hunter you know so and he goes with me sometimes and i go with him and i was telling him the other day i was like i swear there's nothing worse than like like for me the later season spring bear you know it's where i end up chasing my hounds more in the hotter days you know and to me, that's just the hottest, it's the hardest country to run around in for me. And like the Chucker Hills are worse, but I'm not having to chase anything down, you know, and like, uh, and get into the tree before they jump out and this and that and into the truck, out of the truck. And you, you do this big long hike and then, all right, run back to the truck to hop it. And it's so stinking hot. The seat yeah. belts will brand the back of your arms and, you know, and like, <laughs> There's all and, and the dogs get so hot. I, I, there's been times we're walking out, out after a successful tree and we're going like 500 yards at a time and hiding in the shade, just dying, you know? Yeah. Um, and I actually got into an issue last time with Haggis where uh, he got so hot. He's a cold weather nature dog. He you is. know, like he's the one that, you know, I, I have no problem throwing him into water with. He looks like a bear himself. <laughs> kind of, yeah. And smells well, they, like they, one too. <laughs> he's had yeah pretty much he's had the bear he's had puppies bay him before you know he's he's pretty good natured about it you know but uh you know think nothing of tossing him in the water pushing ice you know little boulders of ice out of the way with his chest but like the heat does a number on him and he ended up uh being a heat injury that one day to where he couldn't even stand up he was just falling over started getting seizures and everything you know yeah. and uh Gave him uh Gatorade, you know, gave him my Gatorade <laughs> punk, you know, he, yeah. he got my Gatorade and, <laughs> uh, and tied him up underneath a tree, you know, and, uh, got the rest of the hounds out. So I didn't have, you know, them going left and right and came back to him and his back end was all floppy and, um, Dang. he couldn't really stand on it, you know, but he could stand on his front legs. It was like his hind end ran out, you know? Um, so what I did is I, uh, I took my belt off and wrapped it around his waist and just kind of held his back end up. And as long as I held, supported his back end, he could manage his front end. And it was almost like, uh, like choking the throttle of an engine, you know, like it was like, if I just left him there, I don't think he ever would have come out of it, like without sleeping it off, you know, but yeah. 
he could not quite walk on his own either, you know, but together supporting him with that and getting the moisture in his mouth, you know, um, he, he came back at it and eventually could walk, but was all clumsy. And then, you know, and then I took it off and he, he, you know, made it out, but like you watched everything going, like he even got to the point where I guess his back legs were seizing and he couldn't, he couldn't stand on it. You know, it was all glassy eyed and they do that thing where they, the big tell for me when a dog's hot is their back end will start to drop and they'll lift their head up a little bit, you know, and it's, in my opinion, yeah. that's them trying to open their lungs open as much as they yeah. can, you know? Yep. And they'll like, a lot of times they'll close their eyes and they start panting fast and not up. so deep anymore. Yeah. And up and they just lower their ass, their, their <laughs> lower their butt in there and then raise their head up. And once I start seeing that, I start, you know, start to get not worried, just like we have a situation here that I need it handled right now. You know? you know, I didn't even know how hard a dog could breathe until after these hard, hard rabbit races. And then those those freaking hounds are just like uh, like mouth gaping open, looking up to the sky, eyes closed mm-hmm. and just like these huge deep breaths. You can shine a flashlight down their throat and I swear you yeah. can see their bronchial chambers. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that thing is just dilated huge and they're just like, ah. I got it. My, my Facebook banner is Strider like that after they caught a three and a half minute rabbit. And they're just like, ah, like, Oh mm-hmm. my God, I need air. And his mouth is just full of jackrabbit hair. So like, anyway, that, that's something I wanted to say a quick thing. You guys is speaking of, you know, heat related injuries and stuff, but if you're not checking out dogs are hydrated, this is exactly the use for it. And I got a dog with some kidney problems and that if we listen to our episode with Bryce Matthews, he was talking to the veterinarian about a lot of this stuff. And, uh, my guy got into a bunch of painkiller and like destroyed himself. He nearly died. So he did suffer some permanent kidney damage. So it's going to affect his ability to run. And so I'm going to be really focusing on keeping him cool to keep stress off that body. So, um, the thing is, is, you know, sometimes I get messages from people being like, Hey, dogs are hydrated. Can you just make that on your own? And dude, I'm like, I mean, yeah, I guess, but who wants to have like a two gallon bottle of glycerin laying around? Like, there's got to be something said for convenience of just they have it all mixed up right. They tell you how to use it. Just crack open the damn bottle and use it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's how I, I am. on that in that logic, like you can make your own collars. You can make your own dog leashes. You can make your own dog box. Like and I, I'm not saying I never have haven't done that stuff, but it, it ain't bad to get a ten dollar collar, slap a nameplate on it, you know, and just know it's done right. Yes, you know, and exactly. I think is that kind of the same with the with with this? Well, yeah. I mean, you got to measure. You don't got to worry about it. Yeah, you just it's all done, and they have all yeah. the steps ready for you, right? And make sure you get the part two. That's a that's important part of it as well. What's Everyone that? gets there's two parts. There's the part one, the prehydration, which is like the mixture that helps them get hydrated, and then there's the part two that helps them rehydrate. And the both of those are okay. important, right? And a lot of people just get the part one and not the part two. And so anyway, I just want to say like, that's going to be something that is definitely more religiously used in my pack. Cause when it gets really cold, you don't think about that kind of stuff, but <laughs> I need to give Strider every edge possible. And I'm not going to dink around with all that bullshit. I'm just going to get theirs pre-made. So check it out. And patrons, you guys get a deeper discount. So check out those codes on our Patreon page. But that go. was a, that was a shameless plug for dogs are treat. Cause you know, that stuff is a, a good way to help your hounds deal with he's stressed better but anyway yeah. so i think about this often because man I, losing strider I, i'm not sure how i don't know how he's gonna run i i had his blood work tested and um it seems normal you know a dog can function with really a human any animal can function with very um damaged kidneys and not have any blood 
chemistry issues until they've lost like 70% of their kidney function. So all his, all his okay. vitals look normal, but he's not, but you aren't going to see it until it's really bad anyway, is yeah. what you're saying. Okay. And, and here's something to think about you guys. And, and this is just the truth. You know, this is something as houndsmen we always think about, but I, you know, I'm going to run him. You know what I mean? I'm going to run him. He could just be a bum on the couch and I could pussyfoot around with him for the rest of his life, or I'm just going to run him and keep an eye on his blood levels. I'll, I'll get his blood check probably in like November after I've hunted him and just watch mm-hmm. him. You know what I mean? If he looks like he's getting beat down, put him in the box and, and don't bring him out, but I'm going to run him for sure. I'm not he gonna, wants to. Yeah, exactly, dude. He's a hunter. Yeah. Guys, this is a no nonsense podcast. You guys know that. And I'm going to talk to you about Onyx because I'm sitting in camp in New Mexico right now. I've never stepped foot on this ranch. And I've used Onyx so many times in the last three days. With their high definition maps, I can see mesas, I can see grasslands, I can see the canyons. I know where the critters ought to be living in Onyx helps me find those spots and get to those spots and it totally augments my tracking equipment i could buy a map card for new mexico but this year alone i've hunted louisiana indiana kentucky uh new mexico i didn't hunt in colorado but i was there montana i've been in montana so you do the math on the map card and when you buy onyx at their elite price for around 100 bucks a year I get all of these maps that are right on my phone, extremely clear, landowners are marked, state lands are marked, it's all right there. Check out Onyx at onxmaps.com and get with it, man. And at checkout, enter the promo code HXP20 and you will get 20% off of your Onyx subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. So yeah, you know, you had, what you want to do, you know, like you want you want him to run. If you ask him what he wants to do, he, he wants to run, you know. So I, I don't know. If you want to be selfish, you know, like I, I've been into that situation before with a terrier that you know was getting old, and everyone's like, "Oh, you're still hunting her." I was like, "Well, if I was being selfish, you know, I could tied to the couch and yeah, you know, not take her out." But that's not what she wants. If I'm, I know, if I'm I know. really concerned with what's best for her i'm gonna run her until she you know exactly. burns out like a bottle rocket you know i mean so. i'm not gonna be destructive to him i'll definitely watch him but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna baby him you know what i mean i'm gonna run him so anyway that's that's just kind of where i'm at right now and and so uh, i'm really excited i'm anxious i guess not excited anxious to see how he is gonna do and because he's my best picker upper <laughs> he's not right. my best runner but he's definitely my best grabber you know when like mm-hmm. it's time to actually catch that little long-eared punk he's the one that can suck him up good so gotcha. anyway um yeah I, i'm looking forward to it getting going so uh you know on, and i was gonna say this too on bear hunting dude trying to find a track in like iron hard desert ground sucks <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> it's one of the worst things i was world. talking to justin and he was like uh man it must have been really tough like doing hunting in new mexico after you've been to canada and i was mm-hmm. like yeah but i liked how i was only two hours from my house <laughs> right instead of <laughs> 62 you know what i mean so it was um it was a great time it was great company but anyway i was just thinking i was laughing about that too because they were like you know how was canada and i was like dude i saw 65 bears in five days it was insane you know you you rig every 10 minutes down the road and you get to the point where you see a bear and you're like 
No, let's go look for a different one. You keep driving until one's on the side of the road. <laughs> like I don't run bucktooth bears. That that bear had, yeah. had a funny looking face. I don't want yeah, to. That it. was only a six and a half foot bear. Let's keep driving. there. You go. You know what I mean? Like, but anyway, hey, I want to ask you something, man. I have been seeing pictures, videos of little dandy. How's oh, that yeah. going? He's doing good, man. He uh. Tell, um, tell everyone who Dandy is, first of all. Oh yeah. Dandy's my Dandy's my little setter. He's a I got a you know, I got a few here. Um um uh, he's my actually he'll be my my second setter, but of two of a handful of bird dogs, you know, and um one of my guys that works for me, uh Yubi has a has a pile of them, really nice setters too. So I've and my, my other friend Tyler's got a bunch of them. So I'm like up to my Adam's apple and setters, even if I don't own that many personally, you know, um, I, it, who knows how many, you know, but, uh, this one's a little bit different. You know, I'm not saying better, just different, you know, different tool. Uh, screwdriver's not better than a hammer. They're just different, you know? And, uh, uh, this little guy just doesn't range out that far. He stays a little closer, but is a tracking. And that's what I thought maybe some of the guys here on the podcast might get excited about is, you know, all bird dogs can, track but this has like been purpose-bred for it where they do that slow creepy deal and uh got him you know creeping and pointing and doing all that real nice so now we went ahead and uh took a step back with the birds and now we're just working on woe breaking and he's taken right to that uh what is uh, woe breaking briefly oh yeah okay briefly is like and under an ideal hunt you know or even you know your average hunts you'll never say it you know the dog learns they point instinctively you know like all bird dogs point instinctively you know that that's there that's their breeding if they're bred well they point instinctively you know but even the best if left alone they'll point and then they'll break you know what i'm saying you have to kind of teach them okay yeah you did right pointing's what i want now now point even if you know where the bird is even if you can see the bird still point it you know i'm taking it from here so in order to do that, there's a million different ways to skin this cat, you know, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, but you woe break them. And basically what that is, is you teach them to stop moving your feet, basically, you know, so like, there's various forms. Some people don't even want them to move their tail or twitch their tail. Others say don't move a muscle, nothing. Don't move your nose, anything like that. I don't really care if I say woe and they're in odor, they're going to lock up and it's just like... They could they can point and have a bunch of birds flush in their face if the wind was going the wrong way. And then just as a reaffirming, like, no, don't chase them. Whoa, hold still. You know, like there's more in here. And then the next one gets up and I can take a shot out of it or something. Yeah. Or point. And when they're young in the game, you can kind of see that they pointed and then the bird twitches and you like see the the eyeball move and you're like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. You know, stay there. That's what that's your job in this equation is you you find it you point it and you don't move your feet you know so right now i'm just teaching them at random times i'll say whoa and that means lock up you know i let them move their head when there's no odor present you know but don't move your feet if you if you pick your foot up you did wrong and you don't punish them into that but there's i don't know there's a million different ways and based on what breed i use i'll do it differently but right now that's what we're doing and He's a don't real soft nature. <laughs> yeah, don't move. Don't don't move nothing. <clears throat> and he's a real soft natured dog. So um just kind of like the Salukis, if uh, a little dab will do you with correction, you know. And oh, yeah. Mo- yeah, and most of these dogs learn through like trial and error. They they literally just have to do it wrong. 
five, six times, and, and then they'll do it right. They're perceptive enough and they're soft enough and they really have a willingness to please. And this is a lot of different breeds, but they, they still just have to do it wrong so many times to finally learn, okay, this is bad. Yep. You know, so um, right now it's just a bunch of trial and error. Whoa, and he moves a foot and turn him in a circle, bring him back. And whoa, he moves a foot, turn around in a circle, bring him back. Whoa, he doesn't move a foot. I wiggle around a little bit. He stays moving. Then I give him some food, you know, yeah. and uh, uh, Kyle Warren, the guy that breeds this particular line is like a uh, paint river setters, you know, um, has like all these little videos and little knickknacks. And I am a like conventional schooling, man, it's like painful for me to sit through it. You know, like I've never been a really good student, but I am a student of dog training. I will gobble up everybody's, even if I don't like it, even if I'm sitting through somebody's stuff and I'm just like, I do not like this. Oftentimes there's a cherry to be plucked from that though. There's something in there. And that is not the case with Kyle. He's doing a great job. I really enjoy his videos, you know, but like in the beginning, he was kind of like, well, you can look at it if you want. I know you had to train a dog. I'm like, I am way past like feeling like I got it yeah. all figured out. Seriously. Like, uh, uh, I, I just love information. So anyway, <laughs> I'm trying something new. This is a new way to Wobrook, and it's just very rewarding. He's doing it. I haven't I haven't made his tail drop not one time, and he's already locking up, and I'm throwing my hat and kicking rocks and walking 60s wow. around him and like flipping. To like the, It's really windy here, so when I whip the leash at him, it's like slapping yeah, him yeah. in the face and making his eyes blink and he's like i can't even see anymore but i'm gonna hold my feet still you know so yeah nice it's, nice so he's gonna be a good one then i'm, I'm look, dude i want to hunt over him for sure hmm? no doubt yeah this year we'll make it happen no doubt 100 i adorable. shoot a block i shoot a muzzle loading shotgun so i'm gonna look kind of funny next to you guys all sitting there reloading that's gonna <laughs> funny that's gonna be freaking awesome uh, like, that's <laughs> it's kind of one of those things do i want to no <laughs> buddy with the boat you know, do I want a black powder shotgun? No, I don't. But I want a buddy that's got one because I want to see how it's done and get to play with it a little bit and give it back. You know, like, yeah. that's that's perfect. That's 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 awesome. And it might actually, I might actually bite into that one. You know, it's a ounce and a half of number seven with no choke. So it's putting up a freaking wall of lead, and I don't have a very long range with it because it has no choke. But damn, that thing. Right. It'll knock you down. It kicks hard because you know, it's an ounce and a half of lead. You know, it, it puts up a freaking a big wall. I'll, I'll, if we have a patterning board, I'll show you that pattern. It's pretty crazy, dude. So, it makes me think of like the old punt guns for some reason. I it, it's, it's a double barrel punt it's like gun. A, it's like a seven foot shotgun, you know, like. You yeah, know, it's, like, a, it's a double barrel punt gun. It like swings out from underneath it, you know. Like, um, yeah, yeah. So no, I was I gonna get wait. a ten gauge, but I ended up getting a twelve gauge just because a ten was more popular for waterfowl back in those days. And I don't hunt waterfowl, so I was like, a twelve is plenty. A twelve is plenty. Yeah. But yeah. it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, let's. Uh, I want to move into some uh, quick news, you guys. So uh, yeah. speaking of bear hunting, uh, when I was going up to bear hunting, uh, John Rudder, president of the New Mexico Houndsman Association, sent me a notification that you guys all saw on the Facebook group. And it was talking about New Mexico Department of Game and Fish with a proposal for a rule change with bear and lion hunting. Here's the thing. That rule change wasn't as uh, detrimental as other laws in some states that want to outright ban these kinds of hunting. But what is distressing is that 190 of the 200 comments came from anti-hunting people. Ah, Yes. And so uh, we posted that up there. Kudos to our IT guy, Shane. He was on it within minutes. I sent that thing to him and he got it on the page. So uh, thank you, Shane. And then also, yeah. um, Shane's awesome. uh, 
we got a lot of engagement for that. So as a, as a New Mexico resident, I, I thank everyone who emailed. And I, I do want to say, you guys, like we see these things and I live in New Mexico and I see something coming up in Wisconsin and I'm like, oh, you know, it's in Wisconsin. That'll never affect me. Here's the thing. Listen, guys, I was out hunting in bears and all the trucks I saw were out of state hunters in New Mexico. It affects everybody. If you love hunting anywhere with hounds, you need to just write that quick email. It takes five minutes out of your day. And the representation for hound hunters went up a lot. And what sucks is that a lot of those comments were just to outright ban hound hunting, right? And yeah. So anyway, I just want to thank everyone who emailed. And I just wanted to let everyone know very briefly, but, you know, just take the time, you know, support each other. When when one of these posts comes up in Houndsman XP, and, and I love when our when our listeners post those things into the group because Houndsman XP, we put our money where our mouth is, preserve, protect, promote. That's that's a huge part of this podcast's mission is to represent hound hunting and perpetuate hound hunting legally all over the United States. So anyway, mm-hmm. that struck me hard. You know, I can't even like how can you can't even imagine New Mexico without hound hunting? It's a freaking religion here. You know, mm-hmm. and it sucks that, you know, this urban influence is growing in a state as rural as New Mexico. We have one of the lowest populations in the union, you know, mm-hmm. it sucks. But anyway, so thank you for everyone who stood up with us and uh, let's keep up the good fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here, here, man. That they, they don't sleep. Those guys, man. the aunties, they just they just never stop and it can well, wear on you, man. It could it, it can wear on me to where like I just. I'm not, I'm just makes, gives me, make, gives me a horrible day, you know, but like you get in where you, where you can and like lend a voice when you feel you can, you know, you don't have to be there for all of them, you know, but like the lesson to be learned there is nine out of 10 of the freaking voices were anti hunters. That's the lesson to take out. That's what hit me the hardest. And what made me happy is that, yes, when we got word from our president, we mobilized, which made me happy. But anyway, Mm -hmm. they're so much more organized and that's something we were trying to fix. And and right. so support your local clubs like John. So shout out to John Rudder. Um, thanks for bringing that to our attention. But anyway, um, that was it. Oh, hey, speaking of, did you listen to the podcast with Chris? Uh, for the it's not about the caliber; it's about the bullet design. I haven't got it yet. Okay. It's in my queue. I haven't got I listened to it. I listened to it, and the whole time I was thinking, dude, son, I just shoot him with a marble, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, I just hunt with a freaking muzzleloader. I know Chris is a flintlock hunter too. But everything you see on this wall here has been killed by that flintlock and some more that you can't see that are off screen. But yeah, it just made me laugh because it's like bullet design obviously matters a lot. Duh. I'm not saying a ball is a perfect projectile. It's garbage. But I just, it does make me laugh that like there's so many, this animal right here, Oryx, everyone's like, oh, you need like a 300 H&H Magnum. And I'm like, dude, I've killed two of those things with a marble, with a gun that was right. ignited by a rock, <laughs> you know, like, so <laughs> it just made me laugh. I I love that. You know, there's. The technical stuff, people love techno mumbo jumbo, you know, and I'm, mm-hmm. I take this black powder and I put it down <laughs> this barrel, like, you know, beat it with a stick. Yeah, beat it down. And tight. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, so that, it was just a, a um, yeah, um, let's move into keep and call, keep or call. That's our classic, man. And uh, I got some, I got some. Uh, again, uh, digging through a lot of the Houndsman XP archives with some slight modifications. And I'm not going to use any names because some of these are kind of old. But uh, I'm going to shoot through a couple. But I think you have one to start us with. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I got uh, got a buddy who's got some dogs. And he's running into this issue 
where the dogs never um they're actually sighthounds too believe it or not they uh never had an issue in the house supposedly never had an issue in the crate you know um and they'll load up just fine happy smiles on the face tails wagging and everything but just as soon as you start moving they get car sick <laughs> and they start slobbering and get the long shoelaces you know yeah. and uh will will poop you know, now everybody knows or like everybody that runs sidehounds knows that generally you let them out of the truck. They run around, they empty, you know, and by the time you go like another 300 yards of walking, they're chilling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they might even empty again, you know, like so they get excited and get rid of it, but they're good to go. You know, so they once they get pumped up, they, I don't know if it's the bowels are connected to their adrenaline or what, you know, but like that can that can happen a little bit. But I've. I've never seen this. I've never, you know, I've never had that big of a problem with it, you know, so I'm kind of, kind of lost. And as like a, an, an animal trainer, that's, that's my job. And I could facilitate routines and habits, you know, but it's really hard to teach an animal that knows don't poop in the house. Don't poop in the crate. Don't poop anywhere except for when you're outside, hold it for however many hours throughout the night and through late mornings and all that and do all that. But when they get car sick, how do you tell an animal not it's like to, a physiologic response. Yeah. It already knows it. It knows it's wrong and it can't help it. It doesn't want to do it. It wants the heck out of there as soon as it does it. So like, what do you do? You know, like, and you can't teach them to don't be car sick. <laughs> you know, like, I think so, I would. Yeah. Uh, I mean, before I say keep or coal, I think the only remedy, do you mind if I go into a remedy? No, nah, go for it. Yeah. That, but basically that's where it is. Like these dogs keep messing up. Every time he drives, even if he drives 10 minutes down the road, they've pooped in there, you know, to the point where he's going with trash bags and cleaner and everything like that. And the hope is that eventually it'll go away. But he doesn't at this point, he's already starting to ask the question, what do I what do I do with these? Do I find him a home that people are going to hunt him on foot right across the street or do I know where basically? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, I guess the first thing I would do, well, Chris would say call because they're sidehounds immediately. (laughs) (laughs) No, I would say before I go to keep or call, I'm going to say possible remedies. I would try giving that dog non-drowsy Dramamine. See if that makes a, is it a site? Is it a, is it a physiologic response or is it psychologic response? Mm -hmm. Like is the dog panicking and freaking out or, and again, this is your buddy's dog. I I mean, we don't know. We should probably have him on the show, but um yeah <laughs> it's like it's like psychological problem is he freaking out to get in the box or or is he getting in loading up and then just when he's in there he's sick i don't know but um i would start with that non-drowsy dramamine and then and then just go for short drives and see if it improves and maybe you can break that mental cycle i guess would be the only thing but for as far as keep or call i'm gonna say keep to me yeah i don't really care they're already I mean, year old yet Either oh, that's still uh, yeah, they're not even a year old. So oh uh, well, I had so Comet and Strider both had car sickness for about a week or two. Their like first three rides to the prairie were pretty ugly. They either pooped mm-hmm. in the box or puked, but they stopped pretty quick. And so and Pronto and Clipso never had that problem. But um, um, I would just yeah, I guess I guess he's already tried short rides. But yeah, I'd start with the Dramamine, see if that fixes it. That could probably fix the psychologic and physiologic response and then just short rides and go from there um but to me like i just i know it's gross i freaking hate it um but it's just not a deal breaker for me i just is that right i just park a truck (laughs) see because i don't have a dog box that's the thing so i just have a camper shell 
And all my dogs mm-hmm. just ride communally in a camper shell. So if someone, right. it's been happening where like I accidentally, they give too much water and then I go for like a three hour drive and I don't let them out and they pee back there sometimes. Like they just squat because they have to relieve themselves so bad and uh, yeah. they're not marking or anything. And I just park my truck up on an incline and just hose it out. You know what I mean? So like yeah. it's gross. Yes. I've never had one poop in the box, but eh, eh. <laughs> right. I, I say right. keep. I say keep. Gotcha. Yeah. I like the Dramamine idea. I didn't really consider that. My knee jerk was like, can you get in the dog box with them? You know, can you have somebody <laughs> have your wife drive Chad, you down I'll the road? Just ride with them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, well, maybe just to see what's going on. Yeah. You yeah. Know? You like, want to see. Because right, uh, he did, he was adamant that when they loaded up, they were confident. They were confident loading up, oh, sticking their heads out, okay. in the tail, everything like that. So they're but not it afraid. Mean things change when they drive. Oh, You'd true. think that they'd start to associate that if it was fear based, but maybe it's excitement. Maybe. Maybe maybe the wind scares them. I, you, you, I can true, guess all true, day, true, you know, true. like maybe they're getting in the cab. And then once you start driving, they're so super excited that it happens. Maybe it's fear based. Maybe it's the wind. He did say that the one time he tried closing them up, it got worse. Because, you know, like with seasickness. And yeah, yeah. They gotta see. If you can see the horizon, they do better, which makes me think car, but it's way too hard to tell so that's why i was like can you get back there <laughs> have your wife drive you like five minutes down the road and turn around and come back and at least you could you could see you know if the slobbering starts you know and then or if it only happens once you get up to the speed or everything was fine until you made the first turn i don't know yeah, so that, that's yeah. kind of what i was thinking maybe but i like the dramamine too you know so maybe dramamine and, and an observation maybe he come maybe he'll be cursing me when he can't tell his wife to stop because both dogs <laughs> pooping all and over the place. pooped all over, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, which sounds amazing. We should have him record this. David yeah. David Heiss, um, he told me when he first started coyote hunting, they were in a car, and they didn't have a dump box on it. So that he would he rode in the back as a kid, and he was holding the coyote dogs, and they would just open the door of this car and let the, their coyote dogs out of the car after the coyote uh-huh. and so he's holding on to these dogs and there's two other dogs in front of him he said as soon as they saw the coyote they got excited and they were just crapping like all over him like all <laughs> over his lap <laughs> all over his knees all over his chest yeah and i asked him and he was like you know it just it was gross but i didn't care i was having the time of my life and i was like a true houndsman right there <laughs> oh yeah. In, yeah in my mind when you're painting that picture i immediately thought like like some like five six year old kid holding onto a collar you know how they have like those little d-rings in there you know like what do they got like a finger caught in this 90 pound stag hounds taking this 40 pound kid for a coyote run you know he said um (laughs) he was he's had german shepherds when he was younger like an early teens and he said he was walking Uh his german shepherds and a coyote hunter was walking by with his coyote dogs and david said he was like watch out my german shepherds will attack your coyote dogs and that coyote hunter said watch out my coyote dogs will kill those german shepherds (laughs) i was like damn Yep. Yeah, yep. it's that that made me laugh. That made me laugh. But anyway, that guy's a legend. So I say keep. What do you say? I right now I'm saying keep until you try more things, but I get not having a problem with it. I do. But man, you guys know you from my other previous stories. You I can't deal with that, it. man. It's not even I get grossed out. I mean, to be honest, if 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 I'm in a position where I could like rinse my hands off or something and there's like a you know a a, a good form turd back there. I don't think nothing of grabbing it and just tossing it out with my fingers. I don't care. So what? <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, rinse my hands off. I'm good to go. You know, but um, but it is, is it gross. for me? 
as a yeah. dog trainer, no, it's it's like dog fighting to me. You know, once one's doing it, then the others start doing it. And then you got a whole pack of dog fighters, you know, and, and messing in the truck, it snowballs, in my opinion. And one does it, and then the others lose their, for lack of a better word, disgust for their it, discipline, you know, and then, discipline, and then, maybe. Yeah. Then it's an option. I travel too much. It's no big deal for me to, like, like for a hunting trip or something like that, load the dogs up for overnight. I'll drive all day, let them out, find a place to exercise them, load them back up in the night, and then drive a whole other day the next day. And if and if it's an option to mess back there, I'm gonna have a bad day. Okay, you know, like I don't, true, true. I don't want no part of that. So for me, me, it's a deal break, deal breaker. I told them give them till they're one. Um, I'm definitely gonna tell them about the me, non drowsy me. You know, that'd be hilarious watching a bunch of drunk Salukis chase after a rabbit. Um, but. We'll go with the non-drowsy. I like that. That's a great idea. And then I, I do want them to get back there and watch, you know. So between all those things, give it the year. Keep hunting. Maybe the joy of the – because they – supposedly they haven't even seen anything yet, you know. So maybe mm. there isn't the the anticipation of the chase to come. To True. Get I was going to say that's yeah. the thing. that I, I wonder if that's what caused mine to quit their – they uh, stopped being afraid, nervous for car sickness, and they started being really excited, happy, and that maybe that mental shift helped break it because they started seeing rabbits. You know, Pronto and Clipso yeah. kept a freaking conveyor belt of rabbits coming to their faces, mm-hmm. you know. so And it's just that – a good point. That, that gravity shift in their mind, you know, like everything like is like – Ah, yeah, I learned how to load up. Now the truck's moving. Gosh, it's a little scary, you know? And then once they're chasing rabbits, if they're well-bred, everything should come behind that, you know? And that doesn't mean that you still don't have some other issue kicking, but like... it may help a lot mentally. Your biggest, you know, your strongest pulling mule in that team hasn't even turned on yet, you know, which is the joy of chasing these things. So I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, there you go. That's that's my keeper call, you know? Like, oh, God, just thinking about it, man two dogs were the poop in the back of a truck that's a lot man you know plus vomit Wah. i i say yeah once they start seeing rabbits everything should change i've seen sight hounds that are like wild so spooky that they're like wild and as soon as they start getting hunted good they're like meeting you at the gate i mean they're like yeah. an entirely different dog as soon as get they me. start chasing hares <laughs> get so, me get, yeah put yeah the collar on. exactly so we'll <laughs> see we'll see all right, I got to keep a call from you. This is straight from the Houndsman XP archives. This is from way back in 2020, okay? Oh, wow, okay. All right, so this guy says he has a pack of dogs that are just okay. Like, he's and he's humble about it. I'm paraphrasing this very long message. But basically, his best dog is an obsessive barker in the kennels. And he said it drives okay. him insane. And he thinks it's barking out of boredom because at night he's not super loud. He tends to sleep for the most part through the night, but he's barking and pacing in his kennel like all day. He's like, I can get him out, run him. He'll sleep for like three hours, go back in and just start barking again. He's like, I'll put bones in there. He'll chew them until he's bored of the bones and start barking again. Keeper Cole, your best dog is an obsessive barker. He'd probably never become my best dog if he barked that much. <laughs> I don't, I, that's another one, man. It, they're like, my rules are you come when I call you, you don't dog fight, you shut up, and you don't mess in the back of the crate. Those are my those are the hard ones for me, man. Those are deal breakers there. Um, but but that doesn't mean it can't be fixed. I would definitely like I've had buddies ask me about this one before. And I always say, record the barking. I want to know what how what what kind of barking we're talking about here. Because there's different cadences and tones 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and, and definitely within breeds. For me, it's hilarious. The, the biggest barkers in my property at night are the sighthounds because the rabbits come out of the woodworks and start walking around and they see them out in the dirt pen or something like that. If I, if I, if they're out there in the early evening and I haven't brought them in yet, or uh, there's been like my females come into heat and they're, they're banished to the dirt pen until they're over that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. But they're my worst barkers at night because they see all the rabbits, the cottontails and jackrabbits coming around. Whereas the hounds are kind of the worst during the day. They will boredom bark during the day a little bit more, you know? Uh, But you can definitely, hear the cadence and the barking you know and i the main thing is to make sure they're not barking at something you know yeah Yeah. um i know one that uh like at my place i had i have have mice you know that are a constant battle and i wear them out and i got a hound um that will bark its butt off at a mouse that runs over to the like if i have like a um uh like a time to release feeder what do we, uh, man i'm having a, like an automatic a feeder though yeah yeah there you go jesus thank you <laughs> all right so an automatic feeder it'll go in and out in and out and every time the hound saw that mouse it would just light it up you know like <laughs> i'm gonna the treetops off i got a deer mouse here you know so that like how you fix that problem is very different from you from a a true boredom barking dog because when you see those they're just laying down their ear could be over their eyeballs they can't even see and they'll just burr. you know like they're just that's different you know and how you see their them is is totally different but i love a bark collar i absolutely love a bark collar (laughs) (laughs) these are fantastic i got a trash breaker you know that does trash breaking and you can hold the button down to where it will go into a um a uh, bark collar setting you know but if you really like i got a kennel so i got all kinds of types and I, i i'm kind of a a tech nerd when it comes to this stuff so if a new one will come out i'll buy it i'll buy it if i don't like it i'll find somebody to sell it to you know but i want to i want to try all the new features uh my favorite is the ones that have multiple settings and i don't know if you want to get into a whole bar collar thing you know but like this is the the trick behind it. it is is it's the routine it's it's a lifestyle change where the first setting it'll zap them on a very low setting and there's yeah. a lot of people that aren't aware of this and then they bark again it goes up and they bark again and it'll go up, you know, and then they stop barking. And as soon as they start barking for like 10 seconds, it goes all the way back to zero again, you know, and then they bark, it goes to one and they bark, it goes to two and they stop for 10 seconds. It goes back to zero again. Okay. Well, then the next setting is like an intermediate setting where it'll bark one time and they'll get zapped and they bark and then it goes to level two. They bark again, it goes to level three. And then if they stop barking at three, for like 30 seconds or more like that, it's fine. If they bark within a minute, it hits them with three again. Yep. That's that progressive learning with, stage. Yeah, I think is what that's it, called. Yep. Yeah. It hits them where they left off, you know? And then once you have a trained dog, you know, that knows, okay, well, I know I got 10 barks before this really starts to hurt, you know, enough, you know, cause you get all kinds of dogs. You get some dogs that a little zap freaks them out. And you got some that are like, number seven, ain't nothing. You know? <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. so you can set them at a higher rate so that metaphorically speaking, the first time they bark, they get a 10, you know, um, and on that setting, you can even like if you have a, a hard dog, you may do that. You may have to set it to nine. First bark is nine. And every time you bark, you get nine, you know, and then on the opposite, the inverse, if you have a softer dog, that progressive, that level one progressive setting may even be too much. You may want to start them at one. 
And I've had that with a very sensitive dog that came here for that problem. The dog would not shut up, you know? So he came here, the guy said he was super sensitive. If the bark collar even zaps him a little bit, he starts screaming. And then he, yep. as soon as he barks, it, it, it just the dog's so tra- traumatic in his mind that he can't do anything. So I, I took the same thing and put it all the way down on a level one setting. Whereas you could barely feel it. If you were to like walk across the yard and that thing, like jog across the yard and that thing zapped you on level one, you I doubt you'd even notice it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we set it on one and and left it there. So like, it was just the slightest, slightest little bit for like a week, you know, and then moved it up to level two, you know, and uh, went from there. So there's a lot of ways to fix it. But the main thing with barking, I um, mean, fixing any kind of noisy kennel stuff, I have over 20 dogs in my kennel and it's dead quiet. The neighbor has like two and you could, their house is very, very loud, you know, and mine's dead quiet, you know, but the the trick behind it is being consistent. It's not about beating your dog's people. I will, I will tell a dog when he's wrong. Do not get me wrong. Uh, You know, I will let them know they messed up when they're wrong, but you don't teach with that. You know, it's not about whooping them. It's about, it's about letting them know they did wrong consistently and the bark collar makes you ultra consistent because it does the work for you passively. It's always and then, on. Uh, yep. Yep. That's right. I have one on. Say, well, I have yeah. a remote collar. I'll just hit the button whenever nah. I hear it. your timing's wrong, bud. Every time. Yep. You know? Yep. The you, bark you, collar too is a great behavior modifier because I mm-hmm. had I had a dog that was an obsessive barker. She'd literally just be barking at a tree. I mean, like she's just like barking at the ground. I mean, she was just, and I have a five acre pen that's natural desert full of rodents and lizards mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff for them to run around. There's lots to do in my yard. And, uh, she's just a crazy pointer cross. And so you put that bark collar on her and it would make her much calmer. Mm-hmm. Like she would be less manic. It wouldn't diminish her hunt drive. It just didn't make her as manic. And most importantly, and everyone, this is what I like the most about it. If she saw another dog through the fence, like walking on the, on the road, which is like an acre away from my pen. She'd go insane, like red line, go insane, like barking. And if some dog got too close to her, she'd like attack the dog next to her. You put that bark collar on her, calm. She would Mm -hmm. just walk up and down the fence, not growling or anything, just walking up and down the fence, not barking, obviously, and staying calm. So she was much safer for the rest of my pack. So I'm a huge believer in bark collars. And I use that progressive learning setting where it like goes up until they stop barking and then it remembers that setting and keeps it there for a week. And if they, if they continue, it'll reset. If they don't bark at all, it resets it back to zero and then it'll do it again okay. if they start barking again, but it saves it for a week at that setting. So, and Penny was a tough, tough dog. So that thing, it had a nine <laughs> was the strongest it could go and it stopped on an eight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Before she was like, yeah. okay, I'll stop barking. So that's I'm really a- unique. The, the week long. I really like that. Cause the, like the one I have, when it stops, if they stop, if they don't bark, if they bark again within like two minutes, it'll hit them with that remembered setting. But if they go like five minutes without barking, it goes on, it goes back to zero again. Yeah, so no, like my progressive learning wasn't that extended, you know, yeah. whatever you want to call it for a week. I like that a lot. That's, that's it's a neat. great bark collar. And uh, man, I, I love that brand. I've used it. And without that bark collar, um, Penny would have been a cull. Let's just say that a long right. time yeah. ago. Yeah. The yeah. bark collar made her an okay dog to live with okay so um, here's, that a few, was, yeah. here's a few pro tips with the e-collars too just you know um one they go off of vibration your good ones these days go off of noise and vibration so you mm-hmm. have to satisfy both noises right right you can run out there and clap your hands as loud as you can you know set off firecrackers you know and it's not going to go off 
another way to test it is you can take a lot of these collars, put the prongs on like a wood grain table or like your stuccoed wall and like slide the prongs down and that'll vibrate the sensor in there, you know, and in theory, as long as you don't do it loud enough to where there's an audio response, it shouldn't go off then too, because it's only vibration at that yep. point. So it, the good ones have to hear a bark and feel a bark to work. You know, that being said, if you put this unit, a lot of, a lot of folks, depending on how they do their collars, and that's another topic I'd like to get into at some point. I hate the way people put collars on. I can't stand it. But if you have an, a collar, a name collar right underneath an e collar, and when the dog runs, they yep. start clapping together. The dog can start getting zapped, you know? So the, your e-collars, your bark collars people should be right up underneath their chin, you know? Underneath there to the left or right of the esophagus, you know? Like in that little, there's a little divot in there. And you never want to leave it too long because the prongs can make sores. You know, the way we like to do it is rotate it. Every time you touch the dog, we just rotate it to the other side of the esophagus. And, and that is, I, we don't have problems doing that, you know? But that said, l- loosen your name collar if you have to. Or, or tighten up your e-collar, but like, don't let them touch each other or take it off. Take the other collar off if you have to, but like, you're, you don't want to send mixed signals. That's really important when you're breaking behaviors like this. If they start to understand, Hey, maybe it's when I bark. Maybe that's when, Oh, well, no, I just got barked for doing nothing. Okay. Well, maybe it's whenever I go over near my water bucket and knock my collar on the water bucket. Oh, maybe it's when I was, you know, itching myself on the kennel wall and the e-collar was up, you know, like, so you try and limit. <laughs> You know what happens is important. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, watch your other collar. And th- that's this is especially important for those of us that use tethers because a tether, whether it be a chain or a rope or whatever, can can knock on that, especially the clip can knock on those collars. So just keep that in mind. Um, and as well, if it's not tight enough, it's not going to work. It may be giving the command to zap and stimulate the dog. But if the collar's not tight enough, it may not actually be delivering that shock. That's you know? and the sure- important thing. That's so true. That a lot of people put them too loose and they don't so get much. it. Yep. So much. Like, and everybody's like, well, it's so tight. They can't, they can't breathe. That is the thickest, most durable muscle in the dog's body is their neck. Like, I would never suggest this, but every one of our dogs out there, you could lift the dog up by his head, you know, and it would be very uncomfortable. But they're going to be okay. It's not like you're picking them up by their pinky toe, you know, like tail. Yeah. yeah, You know, like, whereas us, we're like, it's different. You know, you never want to pick us up by our head, you know, but to kind of draw a parallel, that'd be the same as somebody reaching out, grabbing you by your belt and lifting you up by your belt. And you're hanging there like, you know, hunched over, you know, like that's going to be uncomfortable, but you can breathe. Yeah. You know, you can do all these things, you know. So they, when the dog's collars around their neck, if you could force, my rule is if I could force like four fingers up underneath there, if I can get them underneath it, the dog's fine. The dog yeah. is absolutely fine, you know? Um, and sure. so it needs to be tight. It needs to be, you know, and it needs to be, if it's tight and in the middle of the neck or at the base of the neck, the collar will slide up and then become loose enough to where it doesn't work anymore. So start off by having the collar up under, and you guys can't see this, but I'm, I'm slapping myself up under the chin right now. Have the collar up underneath the chin to the left or right of the esophagus. And then it has nowhere to go. It can't go higher and get looser. And the last thing is your prong length. You know, if you got thick hair, like all my hounds are on the long prongs, you know, like I even had like old rebar, 
something about him. I don't know if he has blubber in his neck or what. He's 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 got short hair. But if I use the short prongs on him, he will not get track and train stimulations. He will not. He will not. Uh, you, you could you could fall asleep on 18 and he's just going to walk around happy because it doesn't get through his skin. But with the long prongs, it presses hard enough and he gets a good stimulation through there. So that and if you still have dogs like your really thick breeds, kind of like a, a German Shepherd or maybe one of the Lycus that you were talking about, um, a trick with those is you can't shave a patch. And if you don't want to shave a patch, you can use um um and i'm i'm failing here for a word uh but you can use uh like ky jelly to oh, make okay. a, a better connection dielectric and, gel <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah that's everybody should have a seth you know just walk <laughs> around with you they're a walking rolodex it's very nice pick up yours at the houseman xp store um you know <laughs> it's only if you want to talk about rabbits or dielectric gel apparently <laughs> there you go there you go so that it just makes a better connection you know and uh keep in mind that if you have a habit of having a a thick you know fatty necked breed you know like my hounds have these really thick blubbery necks you know or a dog with really thick hair or a thick undercoat or something like that on the inverse would be our our sight hounds or like a, a bulldog a pit bull you know they have really thin hair you know those make the best connections but if you have these other ones and then you get used to like level four being where you get that dog's attention and you put that gel on there step it down two steps yeah you know yeah. they're gonna have a... <laughs> you're going to be speaking another language with that gel on there. So Vaseline yeah. works, KY jelly, you know, water will work too, but it dries out really fast. I you know, wonder why you had five gallons of KY in your years. house. <laughs> yeah. Every room, a five gallon bucket, every room, you know, just in case. It's because you're being bad and you have to get shocked. I know. I know. Exactly. There you go. There you go. So anyway, I'll, I'll hush about all that, but like, that's, that's what I would do. It's, it's a keep for me. Even though the barking dogs are nuts, I've never not been able to fix one. Never. Never not been able to fix one from barking, you know? So, so it's all about consistency and, you know, setting a routine and then do it. Don't say quiet and then, you know, go out there and, never you works. know, convince yeah. them to quiet and then quiet and convince them to quiet. And then one day go quiet and then don't go out there. That's the worst thing in the world. If you know you aren't going to go out there, shut up. Don't tell them nothing. You just devalue commands. And then devalue your corrections. If you don't plan on enforcing the command, don't give it. And yep. that's where most people mess up with barking dogs. So or any command. So I yeah. say keep as well. And I'm a huge lover of the bark collar, baby. Woo! That's the yeah. best. So yeah, I'm with you 100 percent on that. Hey, we gotta we're we're already moving into this episode, brother. So I want to move into the last part if you're cool with that. I want yeah, to definitely. I want to everyone, patrons, you guys know about uh my trip to horses, hounds, and mules. Um, I already did a little kind of behind the scenes about that with you, Chad. And, uh, um, it was, uh, it was a great time. The, the camaraderie was awesome. The people were super cool. And I was blown away at how valuable a good dry ground lion dog is. Um, this is all public. You guys you can go check it out. The horses, hound and mules, Facebook page, but a hound sold for $20,000, Chad. And my jaw was on the floor, you know? Um, and mm -hmm. there's mules that were going for really high dollar amounts. So, you know, congratulations to the people that were there and, and made great sales with their dogs. Um, I met all these cool folks, but I mean, you know me, dude, when I get into those events, I'm just running around like a crazy person <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. and I just, <laughs> I, I was sticking now. my mic into everyone's faces. Um, uh, 
And you guys know I made one of the episodes public from the Patreon page, but there's more there too. Is I met all these crazy chuck wagon people. And I couldn't stop thinking about those chuck wagon dudes for like two weeks, man. They were just awesome and hilarious and funny and crazy and cool. I really want to go to the chuck wagon races in Arkansas. That sounds like a great time. I'm a party animal. I'm sure you've already figured that out too. Oh, yeah. So, uh, it's, it's a two week Sturgis of the South with mules and wagons and crazy people running around everywhere, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. But everyone, What's not uh, the I, I agree. I agree. Um, so yeah, go check out the Patreon page, you guys, for all that bonus content. And there's going to be some bonus content. I got a lot of interviews, and they're not all going to fit on this main episode, you guys. So go check out the Patreon page for the more. I got even more in person, my favorite kind, face-to-face. I stick a mic right in your face. Boom. Tell me three things you like in a good whatever. Boom. Right in your face. And uh, we got the conversation started. And I'm going to make a quick saying on the show. So hmm. I was talking to a lot of cool people there. And what I loved is that these are my people. And I mean, that is not as a sight hound hunter. I mean, that is like my, when I travel around the world, I just, I, I meld into the culture of the people I'm with. And I just, I don't make any judgments. I just, I'm just a a fly on the wall or a participant, you know, and I just Mm -hmm. absorb it. But it was easy to go to Northern New Mexico because all these dry ground guys from all over the Southwest, these are my people, you know? So it was very easy to be a part of that community. And uh, so shout out to everyone that was there. It was really cool. Um, There was a guy named Ross Blackwelder there. And he's BB Ranch Hounds. That's his outfit's name. And I just remember, man, he was, he's super humble. He didn't want to, a lot of people are just like, oh, I got nothing to say. I don't got nothing to say. And you stick the mic in their face and they just come alive, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I just remember, man, we were sitting there. It was kind of a, it was after the, the, the horse hound and mule. Or it was after the hound auction and all these people uh, kind of left, but there was a core group of guys that stayed behind and the party kind of started going a little bit. And I was, I approached Mr. Blackwelder and I was like, Hey, uh, tell me three good things you like in a dry ground lion dog. And he was like, no, I'm going to tell you six. And, uh, after I finally cornered him, I literally cornered him. I like (laughs) ran him into a chair and, uh, he, he was super cool. But what I loved, man. And I said this in the interview is when he started talking, people just started aggregating and everybody got quiet and everyone gathered around. So I just thought that was kind of cool. I was like, all right, I am in the presence of a, a really respected guy right now. And uh, I really enjoy talking to him. And um, I shamelessly was like, hey, you should take me hunting. They hunt right by my house all the time. But uh-huh. I just, I was really struck by that. You know, I thought it was really cool that like when this guy was talking, everyone was listening. And so I was like, somebody well, like bumps the jukebox. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I need to listen too, clearly. Yeah. So um, there was a lot of crazy fun characters and uh, we will be there next year. Uh, again, Hounds and XP will absolutely be there again next year. You guys, um, it's it was a great time. I highly recommend to anyone listening to this to go there because you're going to see a side of hound hunting that is quite mythical. It is like there's just something about dry ground lion hunting that just inspires that romantic image of the old west. I am just going to say it flat out, you know, (laughs) I'm not arguing with you. It's pretty cool. (laughs) Mules, the desert, a pack of hounds, and you're just alone out there, you know, 
and you're hunting this incredibly elusive animal over these like huge, wide open, majestic landscapes. Like it is badass, dude. It's very romantic. And I don't mean that in like the stupid smut book way. I mean like romantic in the like novelist way. You know what I mean? You just, how can you not feel like that? So anyway, I thought that was really cool to kind of see all these like, these like kind of, um, like lords of the dry ground, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that weren't there that are badass lion hunters. I'm just saying what I saw oh, yeah. there impressed me and there was a lot of knowledge there and uh, it was very cool. So um, the Whitaker brothers are there. I met them in person. They're super cool. Both of them, they were giving me a hard time running around on mules, dragging tarps around behind mules and to show how like steady their mules were, which was cool. I'd never seen that. Um, but anyway, yeah. So you guys, I, uh, I say let's just run right into these interviews, you guys, and uh, enjoy them. Uh, you're going to get a little taste of me running around with a mic again, and you're going to hear straight from the horse's mouth, straight from the hound's mouth, straight from the mule's mouth, uh, what they got to say about wow. things they enjoy in a dry ground lion hound. Tell me your name and three things you look for in a good lion hound. My name is David Riley. Three things I look for in a good lion hound. Is a good handle, a good cold, a good cold nose, and stay with and stay with the track. What what is a what is a cold nose in your definition? Cold nose, you can turn out on a two or three day old lion track, which they may or may not catch it. it just depends. Depends on if he's got a kill in the area or not. So if he's just traveling through, you may not catch up to him. But if he's sitting on a kill, you may jump him off that kill. How long does a lion stay in the area if it has a kill? How close to the kill do you think it stays typically? Uh, it'll stay within a few hundred yards. It'll make its rounds. but he'll, He's close. Yeah, he's, he's not going anywhere until he's finished with that kill. How long does it take him to eat a deer? A day or two. They'll stay on a couple days. Gotcha. But unless there's a female in the area too. If there's a female in the area, he might be chousing her as well. So it just depends on, it just depends on you know, what the situation is or what the circumstances are. Do you think a good handle comes from genetics, uh, training, or both? Could be a little bit of both. Good genetics is a big, major part of it. Where the dog, what the bloodline is, where the dog comes from, who he comes from. Um, some dogs have a handle on them. Some dogs don't. You can you can tone them, train them, shot whatever you got to do. Some dogs just don't. Do you like spooks or do you need? You, I mean, you sounds like you like a dog that's real good to I, handle. I have a dog. I want a dog that's going to handle. When I hit the tone button, they already know, even if I don't have to hit that tone button, just holler their name and they'll stop in their tracks. And they're on their way. And they're on their way back. But I've had dogs that, no matter what you do, they're, they're V-lining. How long you been running? I've been running hounds all my life. So how long is that? We have to really go there. <laughs> you I'm, look young and spry. Well, I'm 50 years old. There so you go. Pretty much out of the womb. What kind of dogs are you running? Walkers, blue ticks. Red ticks, walk crosses, blue tick crosses. I ain't too much for black and tans. Okay. I will have a plot. I will have a plot, but but I like the crosses. Yeah. I like blue tick walk crosses. In my limited experience traveling around the West and hanging out with scent hound guys, it seems that here in the West, it's a lot of just this dog catches, this dog catches, let's cross him. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And, and a Western special. Right. You know, and I, which that appeals to me. And I, think I, I like that. I think that's where a lot of people get their good bloodlines is they, they cross genetic, they'll cross genetic and they'll start, they'll get their own bloodlines. Yeah. And genetics is a big deal. 
where do you see yourself going in the next 10 years? What are you looking for in a dog? How do you want to improve your pack? I want to improve my pack, get me some good, good finished or started dogs, get me some pups to run behind them. So these like the puppy trainers are also, that's another thing. Puppy trainers are critical. Yep. You can't just have a dog that's just gonna, you, know, you can't have a dog that's just gonna blow out, just blow out and leave everything behind. Totally I mean, on a hot bear, that's gonna happen. On a lion track, dirt ground lion track, you're probably gonna want a dog that's gonna work the track, move the track, have a, have a, you know, have, have some voice on it too. I said, a real quiet dog, to me, I don't think those puppies are, they're learning anything. I, I want a dog that's, that's gonna have some nose on, or have some, some voice on the track. And so, I mean, you know, like I said, a dog's got a good handle, trash broke, you know, concentrated on that track, run through a herd of elk, and still on the track. I'm gonna ask a tough question now. Yes, sir. Bears or lions? Both. That's a good answer. Yes, sir. <laughs> like running both. What's your favorite thing about lion hunting? The thrill, the sound of the hounds, the thrill of the hunt. It's amazing. Yeah, what about bears? Same deal. Yeah, it, can, it can get a little bit more, it can get bears. I'd rather have to tangle with a lion than I would a bear. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Bears, lions can be unpredictable. But bears, <laughs> you don't know what's going to do. If they come out of that tree, I mean, it, they can come. And a lion can do the same thing. Not like a bear. But not like a bear. Lions are weenies. Yeah. They run away. Yeah, they're yeah. going to get they're gonna get gone. But bear gets mad. He's going to try to hurt somebody. I agree. Well, well thank you, buddy. I appreciate the hell out of it. I appreciate it. Tell me your name and three things you like and a good bobcat dog. My name, Sean Riley. Three things I like in dogs. I like a good running dog. Um, I like a good dog with good heart and um, no quit. I mean, that's really, really main thing. Um, good loyal dog. When you define running dog, I think my definition of running dog and yours are a little different. Define a running dog for you. So mine, mine, you know, I like running walkers. Those are my go-tos. A lot of people don't like them. I love them. Why? You know, because they, they'll go and they can keep up and they stay right behind them, you know, and they'll What's run a track. What's a good speed for them to run a track? I mean, average i'd say 15 20 yeah just define your country yeah. where are you hunting down the same place as ross which is yeah down to west texas okay yes sir rush heavy rio grand heavy brush dog pair and they're moving 15 through that they they move Woo. fast the runner walkers Damn. they move yes you sir. got pigs down there well that's what i'm i'm uh, so i just switched over so i i was a pig guy hog guy um that's all i've ever ran and my brother and uncles and everybody else have always run big game hounds and so i thought you know every high school kid in the country has got got a hog dog and so uh let's start trying something a little more yeah. challenging and, and this is where i'm at and um kind of what brought me here this guy's your brother that's my brother how far yeah. apart are you guys uh, in weight or in age, age? <laughs> <laughs> in age yeah. well I, he's 50 and uh i'll just put it like this um i walked in the hotel the other day where he works and they said are you David's son? <laughs> well, they say with age comes wisdom, and he's living in New Mexico, yeah. so I no. think he's doing the right he, thing. <laughs> I, I will say this, though. He, he is, he's training me up. He's doing a great job. 
he takes me out every time. I don't know this country as well. So we come out here and, and uh, he's been helping me out a lot and, and right there by my side everywhere we go. So Do you see yourself being a houndsman long term? Oh yeah. Nice. Oh yeah. And you have Definitely. any goals? Where you where do you see your future in five years with hounds? What's your goal? Well, um, right now spent some good money today, got some good dogs. Yes, sir. Yeah. So right where I'm at, I, I like where I'm at right now. I've got good set of hounds with the you know, thanks to him and thanks to guys and this is one of the things is guys like Ross and him that are willing to help out young guys and it's a tough world to break into. <laughs> Yeah. So as long as you've got some good guys to help you out, it's all um, about mentors. It's all about mentors and getting people <laughs> to help out. And um, thankfully, I have a good circle. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much for joining yes, me on the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Tell me your name and three good things you look for in a dry ground lion out. <laughs> we got a legend here. We want to hear. I'm not a legend. What's your name? My name is Ross Blackwelder. Three good That's things you look for in a dry ground line dog. I'm gonna give you six good okay. things. Okay, I wanna hear six things. From, starting with the most important. I'm gonna start with the most important. And then I'm gonna go in order. Number one, intelligence. Okay. Number two, they got a strike. Number three, they got a trail. They gotta be able to keep up with a jump cat. Then they gotta locate it. And then they gotta stay treed until I get there. What do you think, when, when the hounds have a cat jumped, how long does that usually take to get from the jump to the tree, do you think, on average? On average, a quarter mile. Oh, okay, so it's pretty fast. How fast are they moving? That's a good question. Running? 25 miles an hour. Looking it. 30, maybe. When you think... Depends on the terrain. Too. You go home and you hang your hat on a, just a badass day. What is a crazy long dry ground race when you're just like that's that honey i today i was out there for this amount of time it was I insane it happens not very often but you start on a two-day old track trail it for 10 miles and turn it into a night old track off of a kill and catch it <laughs> <laughs> when you think, have to when, get back to the truck in the dark i ask a lot of i ask a lot of scent hound folks across the united states about what is a cold nose and in canada too it all varies it's all opinion to you what is a cold trail? A cold trail. Like I, I think if you're moving a uh, hundred yards in an hour, that's a pretty cold trail. Okay, how old do you think that is? It could be four hours old or it could be five days old. Depends on the conditions and the terrain. I see. Do you think a dog can pick up a five-day-old trail, or is that just extreme if I've you have the right? I've seen a dog open on a five-day-old track. How did you confirm that? because i found the track five days before that walking and took them back in there Damn. and there, nothing had been through there since and i had one dog wiggle on it and one dog open on it and i had a hunter with me and he said that was the coolest thing that he'd ever seen he was the, guy from, the coolest thing he was the guy i've ever seen he was a guy from georgia that run deer and so he knew about hound dogs and scent dogs and so he he said i don't care if we catch a lion he said that's the coolest thing that i've ever seen oh my god that is so crazy so here's my next question if you I don't know how to word this because there's a lot. So, so people have told me when I'm in Canada, they say uh, an hour and a half is cold, right? So is it true? Do you think that if a lion ran across the road and you drive by five minutes later, the dogs can't smell it, but you come back 30 minutes and they can? Have you ever seen that before? I've had a dog, a lion run across the road in front of me and pulled over and kicked the dogs out on it and they ran it like a hot bear track. Okay. And so I hear that a lot, but I've never, I've never tried to wait on it. Um, a friend of mine, he had he had a line run across the road in front of him, and and he had heard that you needed to wait and give it some time for the for the scent to settle.
And his dad said, I'm not waiting on the scent to settle and turn it. He said, I'm turning my dogs out. You can leave yours in there if you want to. And he turned them out right on it, and they caught that one too. So that, those are the only two instances that I know of, and they they kind of discredit that the scent needs to settle. But I think it all depends on the conditions, you know, the humidity level, and the, you right. know whether pressure's lifting or, or Where pressing. are you hunting generally? Um, I hunt mainly along the Pecos River in Texas, and then okay. do a lot in southeast Arizona, southwest New Mexico. Okay. I hunt desert primarily. I try I to stay away from the snow. I'm a desert person too. <laughs> <laughs> we had a we had a gentleman on the show many many years ago that said a pack of poodles can tree a snow line. Is that true? I've never tried to hunt with a pack of poodles. <laughs> 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 but it's pretty easy in the snow. Are you a, do you bear hunt too? I do. I do some prefer bears or lions i tell people you can cram a lot of adventure into a short amount of time on a bear hunt but the challenge gets me on the on the line hunt what the makes a lion hunt more challenging oh gosh you try to go get a dog from anywhere and raise it and teach it to trail a dirt track and it, it's pretty challenging i mean the terrain scent and conditions the dog i mean there's just so many variables that make it make it challenging yeah i mean you can go i can go catch three or four bear a day for two weeks straight and you know i may go a month sometimes and not catch a line so it's definitely more challenging i um i've been traveling around quite a bit for houndsman xp i've had this this total honor and I've, i go to these groups of people this is the first time i've ever broken out an interview and the entire crowd goes silent listens to what you have to say <laughs> so my question to you is if you were to start dry ground lion hunting what would be some advice you'd give to a new person oh my goodness um be patient number one um it takes time especially if you don't have anything to start with i mean if you got some money you can go buy some some really nice dogs that that people have but be patient um give your dogs time to hunt yeah i agree with that what what do you think takes a good dry ground dog to become finished i say that with air quotes to everybody that's listening i'm a lot pickier than most people (laughs) so my finished dog is going to be broke completely off of all trash and can do those six traits that that i mentioned before and how long um i would say most of them don't reach that point until they're three or four Um, i've got some dogs that do it sooner but it's because i can get them on you know 20 plus lines before they're a year old so it it makes a difference on the amount of game that you put them on and the amount of time that you spend with them in the forest i think that's something i'm really um envious of of the scent hound game is that and by four years old my dog's getting ready to be in his downhill yeah you know i mean that's at the peak of his life and he's going to be rolling down but you guys are what's what's in what can you routinely hunt a lion dog till what age um i just had a dog die and uh he caught his last line at 17. 17? 17. So, now not all dogs, you know, not, oh, of all, course, not of all breeds can do that. Um, a good friend of mine, Rocky McBride, had a dog that caught his last line at 18. Eight. And so, you know, I've had, and then other people tell me their dogs are, are you know, turning it in at 11, 12, something huh. like that. So, depends on the breed, depends on where you hunt, depends yeah, on how much of course. you hunt them, you know, how, you, how you care for them, accidents, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no. you, you ride with your dogs, or do you walk, or do you mostly? In Texas, I do mostly footback, um, just because we have a good network of roads, and some of the rim country is just completely not navigable by horse or mule. Gotcha. Um, when I'm in New Mexico and Arizona, that's my go-to. I really enjoy being muleback yeah. out in the woods. I like to see dogs doing it. And yeah. When you're there, it's you're way there. more fun. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And when we're when you know when I'm hunting in Texas, footback, I'm walking right there with them. So unless they just 
finally get something going really good and take yeah. off where I can't keep mm-hmm. up with them. Then well, you go try. back to the truck, <laughs> try to get around there to where they're going, you know. Do you prefer horses or mules? I prefer mules. Why? I've ridden both. Um, I grew up ranching in West Texas, and I had my first horse when I was three, and they're great saddle animals for gathering livestock, um, roping, doing all kinds of sporting events. But the mules, they, they're going to take care of themselves, which in turn means they're going to take care of you in some rough country. And so, I've heard that a lot. Yeah. yeah. They're they're more durable. They eat a third less. I mean, there's lots of advantages wow. to mules. They You can ride a mule until they're 30-plus years old, where a horse, you know, you're looking at early 20s most of the time. So. Huh. Okay, here's the hardest question it seems to be <laughs> at this event so far. Why is it called a mule skinner? That's a good question. I call people mule skinners that ride mules all the time, but I don't know the I've answer heard, to that. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And the mystery continues. The mystery continues. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much. <laughs> I can't believe you cornered me. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me your name and three things you look for in a good coon dog. Troy Meagle. I'd say a good heart, a lot of try, and a good mouth. They got to tell me what they're doing. Describe a good mouth, because that's so subjective in the hound world. Yeah. What, you, what, what kind of sound do you like in a hound? Because I like a big ball in hound. I, I do. I do. I like that. The female I run, she does not have that. She's got a little squeak bark. And, uh, but it changes. The hotter the track, the the squeakier she gets. And, and I, I can tell with her. Yeah. I, I like the change in it. I like like for her to tell me what's going on when i was in canada we were hunting some some dogs that kind of sound like if a manatee was being kicked to death but they had one blue tick in there that just had this beautiful roar and when he saw the bear just and i was like that's a hound not a manatee that's a hound so i I appreciate a hound with good Uh, mouth my male dog sounds like a foghorn on a tugboat (laughs) (laughs) how's he bred what kind of dog you running Black and tans. Black and tans. Yeah, I come come out of a uh, Blackburn stock out of Blanco, Texas. I don't hear uh, that very often. What do you love about black and tans? It's what my dad started with. It's been what I ran since I was born. Black and tan was actually my stripper name when I was in college. Oh, nice. So. <laughs> nice. So I got a lot to say. You know, De- definitely not mine. I'm just gonna call it B and T. So I'm gonna, I've asked all these dry ground lion hunters here, what's a long race for you? If you were just like, honey, today I chased his coon and that some bitch went X miles, what is that? Or distance? Man, uh, quarter mile maybe. That's a pretty long run for a, an animal you, you, that size. You get down south of us, a good quarter mile race is, is, is pretty good. Nice. At home, Three, four hundred yards, really. How many, what, what do you think your coon density is in the area you're hunting? How many coons per mile do you think there are? Because, I mean, I've heard well, people treeing coons in 10 acres. Yeah, back at home, yeah. man, I, I don't know about density, but we can tree probably six, eight, ten a night. Ten a night? Yeah. Wow. E- easily. Yeah. Dang. Dang. It's pretty. Where, where we're at, we're on the Gulf Coast. And, now, and I'm sure there's Indiana boys listening, and there's boys up in the Midwest are saying ten a night. But to me, that's insane. Yeah, and, I mean, and but I, honestly, I think I'm the only coon hunter in our county 
so they don't have a lot of pressure. Really? And there in South Texas, we have deer feeders. I mean, protein feeders. Yeah, it, yeah, it, that's it, what I'm saying. It's just a coon heaven. Protein feeders. Imagine you come up on a coon, he's just like squeak. Uh, <laughs> just whoops the shit out of your dog. Yeah, you can you can drive up to a protein feeder, and there'd be five, six coons on one feeder. Yeah, yeah. So, pretty easy. Sounds like we just got to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, you're a, you're a fan of Houndsman XP? Yeah, oh yeah. Who's Listen. the best host on Houndsman XP? Man, don't get me started. <laughs> Somebody's going to get their feelings hurt there. You can say it. It's Chad. We all know. <laughs> <laughs> No, I like them all. I like yeah, them all. I'm just, you don't have to answer that. I'll just give you a hard time. Oh. You got the best hunting rig. One of the best hunting rigs I've ever seen out here. Well, you, thank you. It's a sticker palooza. We added to it. Yeah. And I've signed some I've signed some hats. I've signed some uh, some papers. I've signed some things. I've never got to sign a man's truck. Yeah, that, that's pretty awesome. I'm, uh, I'm in, unbelievably honored, and there was no way in hell I was going to let you out of here without getting your getting your voice. Uh, my, so, my daughter is going to be thoroughly impressed. <laughs> well, I'll, I can sign something for her too. <laughs> if she likes rabbits, <laughs> she she wants to come run side downs. Let's do it. You know, you're one of the very very few people I've interviewed uh, anywhere in in the United States or in Canada that even knew what a Saluki was, and that you've seen rabbits get run. Yeah. So I was like, cool. There's more hair brains here. Oh my! Uh, <laughs> my grandfather did it forever. My my grandfather ran greyhounds as long as well. His father before him ran Greyhound, so yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. One grandfather ran Sidehounds, one ran Beagles, and my dad ran Coonhounds, so. Uh, hound hunting's in your family. I'm just a, yeah. I'm a newbie at it. Everyone around here's got a long, deep history, and I'm, I feel like I'm the one that kind of just stumbled into it, and then I found a crazy guy, and we've been hunting ever since. One thing, <laughs> one thing about uh, in the hound world, you're always a newbie. You're always going to learn something new. Don't matter who you talk to, somebody's going to have that one good idea. A person I really respect named Paul Domsky has been hunting with Salukis for about 25 years. And he says, I just feel like I've gotten to the point now where I've learned so much I realize I don't know anything. I still have so much to go. And and it it pays to to shake hands, introduce yourself, talk to people. And, and you learn be so humble. much. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I just traveled 1,036 miles to get here. And I learned a world of things about the hound world right here. It's a magical place. Yeah, it, this place is its pretty awesome. If you want to be in the, in the western hound, this is the place you need to be. I mean, oh, you, I'm happy to be here. These are, <laughs> these are the people you need to talk to, everybody here. Everybody here has got something to teach you, and you can learn from everybody here. Except me. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the yeah, podcast, buddy. It's a pleasure. Yeah. We got a special guest for the Hounds on XP podcast. Tell me your name and three things you like in a good side hound. I can't talk. <laughs> How many times do you hound doggers catch yourself thinking about an awesome hunt you had or retelling this great story with family and friends around the dinner table and all you have to remember that moment 
is some terrible cell phone picture, or worse, no picture at all. Well, Houndsman XP has partnered with Rough Cut Company to help solve your problem and make beautiful pieces of art to remember for all time your experiences in the field. Rough Cut Company is an American-owned and American-made business in Wisconsin that specializes in custom, unique photo engravings on hardwood that are framed to any picture you want. They also do customizable antler dog chews and even beautiful, unique antler rings from their own red deer in Wisconsin. Rough Cut Company can do pretty much anything you ask their customer service is second to none. Give them a look at roughcutcompany.com and when you check out, make sure you check out with HXP 10% off to get a discount on your final purchase. Check them out you guys and support people that support Houndsmen and help keep us in the field and remembering those times forever. Yeah guys, so thanks again. I I mean, that energy is... (laughs) <laughs> I, I get Man, I really want to go next year. <laughs> yeah, I really yeah. got to make it next year. I got you know, to make a it. lot of people were asking where you and Chris were. A lot of Is that people. right? Yeah, I've never been to a crowd that was more a familiar with Hounds of an XP, which really made me happy. Like that was super cool. You know, a lot of people were like, uh, I was wearing my HXP shirt. I was actually wearing this one right here, the This Is Fair Chase shirt. Yeah, I was Good. wearing a. Uh, <clears throat> this is how smart I am. I was wearing a black T-shirt in hundred degree weather. So oh, very nice. Yeah, very that nice. was uh not one of my smartest moves. Um, but anyway, yeah, so uh everyone was like, Where's Chris? Where's Chris? Where's Chad? Where's Chad? And I was like, uh uh Chad is can make it, and uh Chris got his flights canceled. So he was very adamant that I tell everyone that he did not bail because he did not want to come. He was truly saddened. I could hear it in his crusty old heart that he was very sad <laughs> not to be there. <laughs> But I did sign a guy's truck, which made me feel amazing. I signed a Jackrabbit Superior Life form on Troy Meagle's truck. So shout out to Troy. That was right. the coolest autograph I've ever given, brother. I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> That's <laughs> Got a cool. Spread Sign- hair gospel wherever I go. All right. Superior life form status. Anywhere we got to go, we got to do that. Uh, at least I do. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. I but dig it. yeah, next year, if you don't come, I'm going to find you and I'm going to... um and you'll probably kick my ass. I don't know. I'm probably just going to kick you and run away. You know what I mean? <laughs> I will inconvenience you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll steal dandy. But anyway. Yeah, <laughs> unacceptable. Well, no, uh, I, I I really wanted to. It was just one of them work things, man. It was one of them bad, big, bad work things. But I, n- knowing, for, uh, there's nothing I could have done about this last time. But now, knowing it, I'll just make damn certain not to save it out there. I got it saved in my calendar already. Is it going to be about the same time? Or? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. That helps a lot. <laughs> July, everyone. It's a little hot, but it's the only time for an off season. So we got to do it then. It was indoors. It got big tents. So air conditioning exists. It's not that bad. So yeah, don't do it October, November, you know, or anything like that. You know, it, I know. Well, no one will show up. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be playing then, you know, exactly. So. Exactly. Well, do you got any closing uh, thoughts, Mr. Mr. Reynolds? No, we, we, I think that's a good one. I do too, brother. Well, thanks for joining us, you guys. Um, and uh you uh i almost did the old and i almost did the old school outro brother that is how dumb and tired i am let's hunt them hard and treat them like heroes that's right